Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. I'm Pastor Gary, and we're really glad to be with you to worship him and adore him. We're going to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible, there's one in the rack there, and it's on page 1154. And hey, I am surrounded up here by by parts that are going to make incredible differences in families, in kids, in parents, in churches' lives in Rwanda. These are some of the parts that we're going to be assembling next Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon, right here at church as we build these uh, clean water filters that go to the most vulnerable people in Rwanda. And just really want to invite you to come be with us. We're going to start right at 9, want you to be here, do some instruction, and then opportunity for everybody to build a filter. And we're going to have a little breakfast, uh, by the way. This will get you here. We're going to have waffles homemade waffles next. Uh, You have to build before you get a waffle, by the way. You can't just come. You have to build, and then you get the waffle. So come hungry. Bring your own coffee. Bring your own coffee? Bring your own coffee, yeah. Bring your own waffles. Bring your own syrup. Whatever Whatever it is, it's going to be awesome, let me tell you. And lots of clean water. So see you Saturday. Invite your friends to come be with us. And then we, we want to we take the, this good news of Jesus to, around the world. So we are involved in perspectives. It's a, a, we've made it into an 11-week course here at Paseo del Rey. It starts early in January. It is a life changer. I will tell you that. I, I took it about 12 years ago, and it changed my perspective on life and what the gospel is about. And we encourage you to be with us um, 11 uh, Monday nights starting in January. You can register today either online or, and it's in your bulletin as well, or out on the table right after um, our congregational meeting, uh, which will follow after this, which will follow after whatever else happens. So, uh, so take a look at that. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what we're talking about the last Sunday and now this Sunday are different shades of grace, different sizes of grace. It's all one grace, but grace doesn't just come in one size or one shape. And, and, um, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians 15, which is really interesting because you think, if Gary asked us to open to 1 Corinthians 15, what's the first thing that you think of? What word? Resurrection. It's the grand pinnacle of the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus. It, it is, and it's also one of the best chapters in the Bible about God's grace. Um, so we're going to talk about two kinds of grace again this morning. We're going to talk about rescuing grace, uh, pardoning grace. This is initial grace that is kind of a once-for-all grace for us. It's Jesus' disposition to sinful people like you and me to give us what we don't deserve, to give us his kindness and his forgiveness, to um, open the gates of heaven to us and close the gates of hell to us, right? That's what that amazing pardoning, rescuing, saving grace. And it is so beautiful. It's, it's best, um, um, we understand this grace best from that famous, famous verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. See, this is that pardoning or rescuing grace. 
And, you, and this, is, this grace comes through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. You, we're, we're, we're saved not by works, not by what we do, not by going to church or, or keeping rules or keeping regulations. That never brings a person into relationship with God. It, 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 I've tried it, and it just doesn't work. You've tried it, and it just doesn't work. It always fails. And, but it's by the grace of God, not by our works. So no one deserves this rescuing, saving grace of God. So that's the kind of grace that we're most uh, familiar with, right? And we were just singing about that kind of grace, the wonderful grace of Jesus. But grace has another shade, or has several other shades. And the other shade that we're considering today as well is what I want to call today the ever-arriving, powerful grace of Jesus. So it's not just when we get rescued and when we get saved, but God's grace also continues in our life. So it's not just something wonderful that happened to us. God's pardoning. God's grace is not only pardon, but it's also power. So it's wonderful in its pardon for us, but God's grace continues in our life every single day, every single moment. Right now, you are being bombarded by God's ever-arriving, powerful grace. Right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the the reason I'm able to stand, the reason I'm able to speak, the reason I'm able to understand and to teach the Scriptures, you're able to listen, is right now, God's empowering grace is bombarding you and me. And and that's that's what empowers you and me to serve and to sacrifice and to get out of bed in the morning and to obey Him and to be irrationally generous it's this, it's this God's grace in the form of power today and every single day. So we're going to look at those two kinds of grace. So keep those in your mind, rescuing grace, pardoning grace, and this ever-arriving powerful grace, pardoning grace and powerful grace. So we're in 1 Corinthians 15. So we're going to start at verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul is our writer. Um, he, he, he writes to the church in, in a town city called Corinth. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel. So he's telling them the gospel message. So it's just right down to the, the, heart of, the heart of Christianity, the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And by this gospel, you are rescued, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, to the gospel I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. If you, don't, if you don't believe the gospel, you've believed in vain. And then here's the gospel in a nutshell, beautiful nutshell, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, according to the whole Bible. Remember, the whole Old Testament is always pointing and telling us about Jesus. All of the scriptures in the Old Testament were pointing to this substitutionary death of Jesus, this graceful death of Jesus um, on our part for our sins, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul wants us to know that we can't take the, we, we can't skip over Old Testament 101, right? Some brilliant preacher preached that last Sunday. I don't know who he was, but I'm going to quote him all, all morning here this morning, right? We've got to understand the Old Testament if we're going to understand the gospel. And the gospel is just really simple. Is, is, is you, are, you and I are way more messed up than we ever thought we were. You are more fouled up and screwed up and sinful than you ever imagined you would be. But 
You're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you could have ever imagined. Paul says, because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so he's going to go on then later in the chapter, beginning about verse 12, to expound on the resurrection of Jesus. But before he does that, he, he, he says, he says, he says, now, um, uh, he, he says, he, he, this is what happened. And he says, and he, I, I want to tell you about some people who saw him after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. At least 514 people saw the resurrected Jesus. And so Paul says, let me tell you about him because most of them are still alive. So you can go ask them. Don't just believe me. Most of these people, Paul is going to say, they're still alive. You just go ask them if they saw the resurrected Jesus. Verse 5, and th- that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then he appeared to the 12, the disciples, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters. At the same time, most of them are still living, though a few of them have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then he appeared to the bigger group of the apostles. So Jesus has shown himself resurrected crucified for our sins, buried, risen from the dead, and over 514 people. Oh, 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 Paul says, one more thing. He also appeared to me. If you've read your Bible some, read in the book of Acts chapter 9, you have this amazing story of Paul. He's on the road. He's heading up to, to Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, Jesus shows up on the road. And he says to him, he says, Paul, Saul, his name was Saul. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, Paul was passionate about destroying the Christian church. And Paul said, Jesus said, when you, when you destroy, try to destroy the church, you're trying to destroy me. And Paul, Paul, Saul at the time, meets the risen Lord on that road to Damascus. So what does he say then in verse 6? And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles. And I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You see, Paul was a, a laggard, and he was a straggler, and he, he brought up the rear, but, 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 it, but it wasn't that he was just a slowpoke. He was a murderous, angry, vengeful slowpoke. It's okay to be last in line sometimes. When, when we take groups to Israel, it's just so fun. The first day you discover, when you travel with people for two weeks and they're in a bus together and hotel together and for a couple of weeks, and you find out pers- people's personalities really quickly. And in every single group that we take to Israel, there's always slowpokes. They're always the last people to the bus. They're always the last people on the bus. They're always the last people off the bus. I sometimes suggest to them, you know, um, maybe you should be the first off the bus. It would kind of help the rest of the group. The last off the group. It's just who, it's how God made them. It's a spiritual gift that he's given them, right? Right, right? And so there's nothing wrong inherently being a slowpoke. And you may be the slowpoke in your family. We have a slowpoke in our family. I've sat in the driveway, used up gallons of gas just waiting for the slow pokes, right? But, but Paul is a weirdo slow poke. He's a dangerous weirdo slow poke. I'm going to say a word that you're going to go, where did you get that? I got it right out of the text. He is an abortion slow poke. Oh, it's not in my Bible. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. 
Look how, and I'm going to come back to it. Look how dangerous, look, look, look at what Paul did. I am the least of the apostles, I do, verse 9. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Acts 2, 22, 4, uh, among many places, says, I, Paul says, I persecuted the followers of this way. Before we were called Christians, by the way, we were called the way. Before anyone was called a Christian, they were called, we were followers of this way, the way. So Paul says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. That's what he was doing on the road to Damascus, right? He had orders from Jerusalem to go and arrest those of the way in Damascus and bring them back for trial back into Jerusalem, right? That's what, this, is, this is what was Paul's passion. He, he, wanted to, he wanted to execute the bride of Christ. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted. So he's this murderous slowpoke, but he's also an abortion. Look back in verse 8. He says, and last of all, he appeared to me. So Paul was, Christ appeared to him after he appeared to all the other apostles, after all the other disciples. Acts 9 comes way after the Gospels, right? Paul is the, he's the last you know, of, of, in this, in this, the, 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 the timeline, Christ came to him later than he came to Paul, or excuse me, than he came to John or Matthew or Luke or any of our gospel writers. So he was last in line. But then he says, he says, as to one abnormally born. And that little phrase, abnormally born, means abortion or stillborn or miscarriage. You see, Paul realizes that his, his wickedness, his sinfulness, he, he realized that he was far off, worse off than he ever imagined he was. And he compares himself to an aborted fetus, to an aborted baby. He says, he says I was as dead, I, I, was, I was dead at birth. Paul says, I, I was, there was something abnormal even about my birth and that spiritually I, I was like an abortion. I was like a miscarriage. Now, who would ever imagine that a miscarriage could come back to life? Many of us have prayed and dreamed for that, right? But it's never happened. But something happened in Paul, get this, where the abortion is adopted, and he lives. And he not only lives, but he come, becomes an apostle. Oh, he's the least of the apostles. He doesn't even deserve to be, 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 be called in. But he is, he is pardoned and forgiven. Um, he's, he's the least of the apostles. Now, how in the world did this happen? To go from the last born and to be one who was abnormally born and one who had been born. How does this one become alive? How, you know, that, that is un, as unlikely as I would get drafted today to play starting tackle in the National Football League, right? Like, like if I told you next Sunday, guys, I'm not going to be here anymore because I'm now the starting tackle of the, um, not the Chargers. Uh, <laughs> not the Raiders. How about Oregon? They, they could use me, right? Saturdays, okay. You would all go. Uh-uh, ain't going to happen, Gary, right? 
Or, or what if I told you that I've just cut a new Christian CD? <laughs> Matt, you're listening? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's closing his ears. And I won a Grammy Award for the top, top album of the year. What, what would you say? Unlikely, Gary. You have your head examined. Listen, listen. It's more likely that I start next week for the, the Seattle Seahawks. What is it? Seahawks, thank you. It's more likely that I start for the Seahawks next week than it is that the Apostle Paul would live. He says, he says I was an abortion. I, how was the aborted adopted? How was he adopted? Look at verse 10, the beginning of verse 10. But by the what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Hallelujah. It's, th- this is that rescuing, pardoning, saving grace that God takes this miscarriage, this persecuted, this murderous threat on the, on the church. He takes this one and he makes him an apostle. He makes him alive. He pardons him from his sins. Paul was just like me. He was, he was running at the top of his speed straight to hell. And now God's lifted him up to heaven, right? Forgiven. A child of God. Loved and valued. Does he have a does he have a skeleton in his closet? Does he have a history? You better believe he does. But that's what the rescuing, the pardoning grace of Jesus does, doesn't it? Man, it just he he just loves us so amazingly. Not what we do or what we deserve, but all what he has done. It's this pardoning. It's that Ephesians two grace, the rescuing G- grace of Jesus. Hold your finger here because we're going to come back to First Corinthians. Go to First Timothy, uh, page eleven ninety two in your Bible. There, First Timothy. I, I I came across this week and I'd never read it in this in this kind of a context or understood it in this way. First Timothy chapter one. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, I'm going to jump in the middle, but it'll make sense to you. Uh, verse 13. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. Paul, here's Paul writing. In, he says, even though I was, I was in the past once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I act in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. You see the grace that comes to this man who was a persecutor and a blasphemer and a violent man? The grace of the Lord was poured upon me abundantly, not a drop here or a drop there, along with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Now, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? This is his rescuing, pardoning grace of whom I am the worst. So if there's a line of worse sinners, what's Paul saying? Where is he in the line? Front, right? Sometimes it's not good to be in the front of the line, right? You know, if you're going to a concert, you're going to a ball game, you want to get in, good, good thing to be in front of the line. But this is a line you don't want to be in front of. But Paul recognizes that he's front in line for hell. And that's where he's headed. He says, for whom I am the worst. In fact, that's something to say about yourself, right? He says it about himself twice. Verse 16. For that very reason, I was shown mercy. For that very reason. For what reason? Because he was the worst of the sinners. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of the sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience 
as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Keep your finger in the text. You hear what Paul's saying? Is that one of the reasons God poured his grace upon Paul, one of the reasons he chose Paul was because Paul was so sinful and people would go, God, why didn't you just flick him off the earth? Why didn't you snap your fingers and be rid of Paul? And Paul says, my life shows the grace of God and it shows the amazing, what does he say? Amazing, immense patience as an example for God. You know what? It doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are. It doesn't matter if you were a persecutor of the church, if you were a a violent man or a violent woman or a blasphemer, or you persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. His, what does Paul say here? He was the worst of the sinners. He says it twice. He says, he says, so that I might display the immense patience of Jesus as an example for those who believe. You know what? You need, you need to tell people how patient Jesus Christ has been with you. Because people are wondering, well, will God accept me? Will God, I've got some stuff in my background. Yeah, we all have some stuff in our background. And Paul is saying to us, it sh- it, when God pours his grace down upon us, what it does is it shows to those who have not yet believed how amazingly patient. Isn't that what he says? But for that very reason, verse 16, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who will believe in him and receive eternal life. Isn't that amazing that God can take my crappy sin and use it for his glory? He didn't cause my bad sin, right? But as he was patient with me and as he poured down his grace upon me, he says, I, w- I want to do that for you as well. So th- see, this, this offer of salvation is to people with skeletons in their closet, with skeletons in their closet. So Paul is talking here in verse 10, for by the grace, we're back in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Who would have ever thunk that Gary Bowman would be starting tackle for the Seattle Skyhawks? Who would have ever thunk that the persecutor of the church would become an apostle? And you would be reading the words God gave him this morning. No one would have given it a chance in the world, but for the grace of God. So this is that rescuing, pardoning grace. Now, let's keep our finger in the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's think now about God's ever-arriving, powerful grace. This is another shade of grace. And it's interesting because in verse 10, three times in one verse, we, it, 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 God's grace is mentioned. And I think it's giving us different shades of his grace. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, uh, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think that's God's pardoning and rescuing grace. Now, I think we're going to go to a new kind of a, a different shade of grace. And I'm just going to go a little ways in the verse, not all the way. No. I worked, excuse me, um, and his grace to me was not without effect. It was not worthless or not in vain. No, I worked harder than all of them, speaking about the other apostles. Yet, no, no, he says, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So let me read that again, verse, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me 
was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. We got to unpack that, right? We got to figure out what in the world is in. Well, the first thing he's saying is that God's grace to him, God's grace to you was not worthless. It was not in vain. It was not without uh, effect. Um, I was thinking about things in my life that have been without effect. Uh, when I was in about sixth grade, John Angus and I, all of you know John Angus, he's my buddy. We lived on Archwood Avenue over by Kaiser Hospital. And John and I, John's a, G, he's a PhD. He heads the math department up at Claremont now. He's surpassed me a little bit in math. <laughs> he did help me do, score really high on the math part of the GRE. He, he helped me a lot. I, we changed IDs and stuff, and <laughs> he just did super. It was awesome. He really did help me. Um, so John's, he's just brilliant. So he built a radio station in his bedroom down there. Some of you heard about the radio station, I'm sure. Probably used to listen to it a lot, right? And so we had this record player. This, by the way, a record player is a. Uh, we had some MP3s and stuff, and we would play songs. And John's mom gave us permission to give out over the air their home phone number, so people wanted to call in requests and stuff. It was awesome. No one ever did call in a request, but <laughs> we would play songs on the radio. It was like a couple of hours, for a couple of nights a week. And I can't, I cannot remember that the name of the radio station. I do remember my n radio nickname, but I'm not going to mention it this morning. <laughs> and man, we, we did this for, I don't know, I don't know, maybe about two weeks, like, gosh, you know, from four to six. That's drive time, right? Thought we're going to get a lot of people <laughs> listening to the radio station. And so we started asking around. We said, hey, if you're listening, let us know. You know, here's John's phone number, and no calls came, and so then we took a radio to see what our range actually was. <laughs> and it was to his sister Karen's bedroom. The far <laughs> <laughs> so we, for like two weeks, said, hey, here's the weather report. John, open the window. See what it looks like. There's clouds. You know, and then we'd play songs. It was awesome. Some of you probably listened to it. You're just embarrassed to say it. But um, now let me tell you, that was like a waste of two weeks of my life, right? That, that was totally in vain, right? It was absolutely worthless. We had a lot of fun doing it. But the Apostle Paul says that God's grace to him was not in vain. Now, what would in vain or worthless grace produce? I'm, I'm going to ask you that. That's a, that's a real question. So if, if God gave you grace and that grace never did anything, what would it produce in you? It produced what? What was it? Nothing. Okay, like what? More sin. Yeah. Hey, cool. Grace. That's worthless faith. Worthless grace. What else? Like death. Yes, it produced death. Yeah. What? What? Despair. It would produce laziness, right? It would produce apathy, right? It produced somebody else will take care of that right? What else? Ingratitude. Ingratitude. Yeah. Huh. I kind of deserve this. It produced pride, right? Well, I got it. I mean, it's mine. I'm going to kind of hold on to it, right? But Paul says, no way. How does he say it there in the middle of verse 10? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. What is the effect that God's grace 
had in Paul's life and has in our life. What does he say? Read it with me. No. What does he say? I worked hard. Read it with me. No, I worked harder than all of them. So one of the things that grace doesn't do is grace never replaces your working. Now, I'm going to be really, really careful here. Remember what Ephesians 2 said? And what was the shade of that grace? Saving grace, right? And your works never, ever, ever produce saving, rescuing, pardoning grace. But once that grace gets inside of you, what does Paul say it produces? What does he say it produces? Two words. Hard, right from the Bible. What does he say? Keep your finger in the text. I worked harder than all the rest of them. I wasn't in the middle of the pack. I wasn't down in the lower third. I worked harder than all the rest. And what produced that in Paul? What, what produced that in Paul? The grace of God. This ever, this ever active, ever arriving grace of God. You, you, you see, worthless grace would produce people just go through the motions, right? It would produce lukewarm Christians. And if I remember right, I read the last book of the Bible one time, and Jesus has something to say about lukewarm Christians, right? And what produces that is ineffectual grace in our lives, of us not understanding what His grace wants to do. It's just grace that rescues us, and then it's done. It leaves, because it's got to go rescue other people. So it just kind of leaves us on, on our own. His grace is, an ever, is a grace of ever-arriving power. Every millisecond that I've been up here preaching, and that you were, got, from the moment you woke up, from before you woke up this morning, you have been receiving, if you're a believer, You've been receiving God's ever-arriving, powerful grace. Instead of, instead of in vain grace, it, 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 he, Paul says, no, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't without effect. I worked harder than all of the rest of them. See, God's rescuing grace does not replace work. Ever-arriving grace empowers hard work so that you can be more sacrificial, so, you, so I can be more serving, so I can pray harder, so I can study harder, so I can obey harder, so I can sacrifice harder, so I can worship harder, so I can be irrationally generous harder, so I can go to the ends of the earth harder, so that we can excel. In fact, look, look at the very last verse of, the cha- of chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Sometimes, partially, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You see, God's, God's saving grace, His, His empowering grace never makes us lazy. You make you lazy. I make me lazy. But God's grace is this power to make you work harder. See, God's grace is not just pardon, it's power. And think about Paul's life. Shipwrecked, right? Beaten with rods, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, uh, left at sea. Um, uh, deserted. Who in the world was doing that? That was Paul doing that, right? Whose back were they beating? Was it Jesus' back they were beating? No! It was Paul's back that they were beating, right? Who was it that was shipwrecked? It was Paul that was shipwrecked. That's why he says in verse 10, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder 
than all of them. You see, it was Paul who was flogged. It was Paul who was left open in the night. It was Paul who felt Second Corinthians chapter um, eleven or Second Corinthians, excuse me, cha- yeah, chapter eleven. Paul says, "No, you got you to keep your finger in the text. No, what does he say? I underline it in your Bible. I worked harder than all of them, but." <laughs> What was also happening at the very same time? Grace was arriving moment by moment, right? It looked like, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. Wait a minute, Paul, get your story straight. You said it was you, and now you're saying it's not you. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And you see, what Paul discovered in his life is is the decisive doer is not Paul, but it's the grace of God. That's the decisive doer. But Paul works alongside, almost like a, like, you know, like a hand in a glove. Every day and every moment as Paul went out, and you read the Apostle Paul's story, what, what in the world motivated him to get back out of bed after the night before he was beaten for the gospel? Why did he go back out to sea? Why did he go to the ends of the earth where the gospel had never preached, been preached before? What kept him going? I would have said, enough. He says, I know it was not I that was, oh, it was me. It was me that got up. It was me that planned the trip. It was me that went without food and and took the gospel to these people who were hostile. It was me. But really, every single morning, Paul says, when I wake up every day, I bow and say, God, unless you do it through me, it won't happen. You, You see this duality of what's happening? That it's us? But it's the power of God in us. And the decisive doer is always God. So how does this work? So let's, let's think about this in our lives. How does this work in your life? Mom's life, dad's life, grandparents' life, uh, doctor's life, uh, student's life, single person's life. How does this work? How does this flesh out? How is it me doing it, yet it's not me doing it? And how is it God doing it, but I'm doing it? How do you make sense of those words in verse 10? No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. Well, I want to share, I I read a couple of these years ago somewhere, and I want to share three possibilities. And I think these three possibilities will kind of help us get a handle on this. What does this look like for me? And I think I've, I know I've been in all three of these different categories in my life. So here's the first category, first possibility, is God does nothing and we do everything. Amen? A- amen? You guys aren't very enthusiastic this morning. Well, this is what I oftentimes do. And this is what a lot of people do, right? Uh, M- M- Matt, found, Matt loves doing woodwork, and so he found this graphic that someone made. This sums this point up pretty well, doesn't it? Do better, try harder, be smarter, persist longer every darn day, right? That's kind of the, the motto of this kind of a group, isn't it, really? Is, and and, I, I, cause, and what, what that is is a misunderstanding of the middle of verse 10. No, I worked harder than all of them. And if you just camp there, this is the kind of theology that you can come up with. Is God does nothing, we do everything. And you know what? As a Christian, we can, we can fall in this kind of category. We can become practical atheists. You know, God's got a lot of work to do, and unless we do it for him, it's not going to happen, right? 
And we become, we become kind of a practical atheist, and we're compelled to fix God's problems in the world and in people. And so it's, it's, it's us doing everything, and God's kind of passive, and he's just waiting for us to do it. Um, one of our grandsons, uh, Nelson, is two years old. Anybody, some of you have two-year-olds? Yeah. I can't wait till he gets to be three. Uh, but Nelson is in this stage of me, the me stage. And I know some 22-year-olds haven't grown out of that, by the way, and some 62-year-olds haven't grown out of that, too. But Nelson is in this me stage. He's me everything, like, time to eat, Nelson. And so you want to help him up into his chair. Me, 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 and pushes you away because he wants to climb up, F- feeding him the food. Me, 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 and it's all over the place, right? And getting in the car, uh, you know, open, I start to open the door. Me, me, me. Can't, can't even reach the door handle, right? So we open the door, and then I try to lift him up in this car. Me, 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 me. And then putting on his buckles and stuff. Me, 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 right? And this is a two-year-old, right? And and that's kind of what this this model is all about. We're determined to do it ourselves. And this is what we do when we stew and we fret and we worry. We become frantic. We become harsh with those that aren't doing the me, me, me thing that maybe aren't starting their engines quite as quickly as we want them to? Psalm 127 has something to say about this. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. This kind of throws this first theology out the window, doesn't it? Now, now Solomon, who's the writer of Psalm 127, doesn't mean, he's not meaning to say atheists can't build houses or keep cities safe, right? They do. They do a good job of it sometimes. But here's the interesting thing. I think what Solomon is, I think he's saying two things to us. One of them is that when those who don't know the Lord build a house, the very power that helped them to build the house is the power they deny. Because they couldn't do it without God either, right? But I think he wants to say something even more important that sure, you can build a house, but what's the point of a new house or of saving a city if you don't know God? I think that's what Paul's trying to say, or what, what Solomon is trying to say here. And I think what, what Paul did in, in 1 Corinthians 15 is every single day he bowed his head and he said, Lord, unless you build this ministry, unless you build this family, unless you build this church, unless you... Help me to forgive those who have harmed me. Unless you help me to make sacrifices and serve people today, it'd all be in vain. Because, God, I know you're the decisive mover here. So, so there's our first uh, um, possibility. Let's look at our second possibility. First one is God does nothing, we do everything. Here's the second possibility is God does everything, and we do nothing. Now, that's a mis- misconstruing the end of verse 10. Um, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So this is the stay in bed kind of a theology, which some of us kind of prefer, right? Um, and, 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 and please forgive me um, if you have this plaque on your wall at home. Let go and let God. Now, don't, don't tell me. Don't raise your hand if you have it, okay? How do I? I'm really happy that you have that. But I have no idea in the world what it means. Do you stay in bed every morning? 
and not get up until God comes in your room and speak. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm funning you here, right? Because I know no one would do that. But, but you know, that's what happens in the church. You, you know, you, th- there's, this, there's this interesting observation about churches that 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work in a church. That, that goes to teaching Sunday school, it goes to hosting growth groups, it goes to giving, it goes to serving the poor, um, mission trips. It, th- that's just, that's a fact. So somebody believes in this kind of theology. Got about 80% of people in a church, apparently. God says everything, we do nothing. Oh, well, we'll do a thing every once in a while, but we just let go and let God. Do you see where that theology, I, and, and if you have that plaque on your wall, please don't get up right now and go home and take it off the wall. Don't do that. Oops, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're in the front row today, Ben. <laughs> There's a couple other things we want to talk to you about. <laughs> what was that other one, Missy? Was that the thing on? Oh. <laughs> Be, you know, because if, if, if that's meaningful to you, but I just, I, I, I'm fun, and, of course, aren't I? And, and I want to just say, um, be careful about that kind of theology because that's not, a, that's not really a biblical kind of a theology and it can really lean, lead us to the wrong place. It kind of leads us to this theology. If God wants it done, he'll provide someone. I'll pray for you and then I'll expect God to, to, to help you with your rent, right? Oh, I'm really concerned um, about the people down in Houston. God bless them. But, but I'm not going to go and I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, interact. I, I, I'm really concerned about the refugees. But that's all that happens. And, and, and so it can kind of turn into this kind of a theology. Psalm 127, I think, again, speaks to that. Because look, at someone still builds the house, right? And it's not Jesus coming down with a, with a, with a, a, a tool belt on, Right? It's not Jesus taking the sword and, 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 and guarding the city. It's, it's people doing this, right? Now, you, see, you see, Psalm 127 doesn't endorse laziness. God's grace never endorses laziness. I think I'm going to talk about Nelson twice more. And, you know, if Nelson, if, if we just did everything for Nelson for the rest of his life, that would be really dysfunctional, Right? That'd be so unhealthy. So th- th- that's not, that would be horribly wrong. John Calvin said, "It is not the will of the Lord that we should be like blocks of wood, or that we should keep our arms folded without doing anything. But it is the will of the Lord that we should apply to use all of the talents and talents and advantages which God has given us." So the third, third opportunity here. God does nothing and we do everything. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. God does everything and we do nothing. No, that's not right either. I think this is perhaps, of course, I think it's the, the last one, right? I think this is the way it really is, is God does everything, we do something. Because without him, we could do nothing. Jesus says that. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 that we looked at a little bit earlier. You see, it's God's ever-arriving grace who does everything. But, but Paul is not replaced. That's why Paul can say, no, I worked harder than all of them. It was Paul that was sweating. 
It was Paul who got up early in the morning. It was Paul who stayed out late at night. It was Paul who got on the ship. It was Paul who studied. It was Paul who talked to people. It was Paul who listened to people. But it was God doing everything, and Paul just got to go along for the ride. You see, we need God. He doesn't need us, but we still work. So it's it's this ever-arriving power of the grace of God that comes into your life every single moment that helps you get off the couch couch when you're dog-tired to do the dishes. That's his ever-arriving grace in your family. It's God's ever-arriving grace that causes you to open your home when you'd rather not to people. It's God's uh, ever-arriving grace that causes you to be irrationally generous when you'd rather hold on. It's, it's, it's God's ever-arriving grace that sends you to the ends of the earth with the gospel when it'd be more comfortable to stay here. It's God's amazing uh, ever-arriving grace that gets you up early to spend time with Him. Yes, it's you that gets out of bed. It's you that writes the check. It's you that swings the hammer. But it's God's ever-arriving powerful grace. No, not I. He says, no, I worked harder than all of them. This is what God's ever-arriving grace does. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was was with me. God's grace is always the decisive doer in our hard work. Now with Nelson. So I help Nelson get up into the car. He can't get up there on himself. But he's sweating. And when he gets up in that seat, he thinks he did it. And then he gets in the seat and, Grandpa, me, me, me. No, no, no. <laughs> no. And, 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 he's, and he's putting those, the, the straps on, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help him. And you know, it's hard because it's hard for Grandpa because you don't want to pinch his little fingers. Well, sometimes you do. But, <laughs> Ben, you need to go home and get that plaque off your wall soon, okay? You know, you don't want to pinch his fingers in there, right? And so you're helping him. And he gets done, right? He is so happy with himself. He's sweating. I did it. But if I would have stopped, he'd still be unbuckled and the door would still be wide open, right? He needs me much more than I need him because I could have done it all on my own. But I chose to partner with him. And he chose to work harder than all of the rest. And one day he's going to say, but I know it was really all what Grandpa did. It's just this much of what I do. 